Hello, Managing Madrid listeners. This is your host, Kian Subani. A quick one for you guys today. Uh, we had a short window to talk about football with my good friend, Dre Cordero, from Bean Sports USA. So we talked about um, how Neymar would fit back at Barcelona and also some of the baggage he brings with him and what that means. Uh, and also just Isco um, going to City potentially and uh, and do Real Madrid really need another midfielder um, given that they already have some players that could play that role that they're looking for, that they already have in the squad, that they don't necessarily need to sell. Um, if you have a mailbag question submitted through Patreon, we're going to take those questions tomorrow on Friday. So tomorrow, we're going to do a two-part episode where, one, we're going to talk about um, a historical Real Madrid game, which is a new segment, obviously, we introduced to the podcast. We're going to be talking about the Supercopa in 2008, where Ruben De La Red scores a really beautiful goal. Um, and obviously that will probably take us into a whole discussion about other things in De La Red himself. Uh, and then we're also going to answer all the questions that are in the queue about transfers, formations, uh, and everything else. So stay tuned. And if you want access to that, that's patreon.com slash managing Madrid. That will be only released for our patrons. So make sure you're a patron to get access to that. All right. Without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast with myself, Kian Sabani, and Andres Cordero of Be In Sports USA. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. It's Thursday. We've had a little time to breathe a bit after signing four players in the span of a week. Uh, and now we get to have a really fun conversation with one of my favorite people out there. Um, friend of the show. He's been on before, but also just uh, doing great work for Being Sports USA. Andres Cordero. Dre, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm great. Thanks again for uh, for having me back. So, of course. Good to talk to you. Recent uh, uh, father of a second child. It is wild. I know it's the most normal thing ever, but um, now being a family of four seems like the craziest thing I've ever done. It's also the, the most amazing thing I've ever done. Uh, and it's come at a really cool time because uh, I've got a bit of downtime um, now over the summer. I know there's a ton of tournaments going on. We're covering the Africa Cup of Nations. But uh, yeah, my life is really full right now with a non-football related stuff and I couldn't be happier. Is it true that the second child is a bit easier? Oh, it's a ton easier. Um, I think just taking away that that fear factor of, you know, I remember with with my first child taking him home, and I think most new parents have this this experience of looking at sort of the nurse in the hospital, like, are you sure you want me to take this <laughs> thing home now? Like, could you yeah. maybe keep it a little while longer, make sure it survives, right? And I think that that fear plays into you know the first probably year of having a, a new kid. My, my two sons are now two years apart. And with the second one, I can see why the second ones tend to be the troublemakers because I think with the first one, you're kind of super worried that uh, anything could go wrong. With the second one, you're kind of like tapping your friend in the shoulder like, hey, watch this, my kid's about to hurt himself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember driving home with my son Luca at like the first time they dispatched us from the hospital. And I, I, I remember going what seemed to be like zero miles per hour on the highway. I was so overly cautious <laughs> with just getting that baby home in one piece that I was just even like the first time you hold him. And then, as you said, like, I, I mean, I haven't had a second child yet like you, but 
I I think I would just be like, oh well, this is kind of routine now. Like you know, we we just know what to do now, and it should be should be fine. Yeah, knowing knowing what to expect is the biggest deal. By the way, we could just turn this into a parenting podcast. I'm very cool with that. Very easily. Uh, I think we could. The <laughs> problem is, there's a lot to talk about. Last time you and I, uh, we finally met in person. Uh, I think a month ago now in Miami, and that was great. Um, it was an honor, you know, just sitting beside you on TV and also just hanging out with you and chatting football. After I quickly realized then that um, we could we could carry a, a very long podcast if we want, and we don't have much time today. But so this is my challenge now. I'm trying to figure out where to start, and I'm I think the most relevant place right now is um, so you and I talked about um, a lot about like football identity and philosophy. But I, I also wanted to kind of just kind of stemming from that discussion, but also throwing something else into there, into there. And that is where a player fits into a certain team identity and how much his character matters. Um, and the reason I bring this up now is because there's the biggest noise, I'd say, apart from, you know, like maybe João Felix going to Atletico and some of the mm-hmm. players that are linked with Real Madrid is Neymar going back to Barcelona potentially. Um, and... You know, uh, my my co-host Diego Lorin um, was very worried about Barcelona signing Neymar again because of his baggage. How much do you think character matters when it comes to building a team, and especially when it comes to someone as talented as Neymar? How much do you think that matters, uh, and and potentially can be a distraction from his greatness? So I, I think in terms of the actual football, you know, the, the stuff that happens inside the lines, it, it probably matters very little. Um, at least it, it pales in comparison to how it matters in, in terms of how he gets along with with teammates. And I don't even mean in terms of being friends because Cavani, Mbappe and Neymar probably aren't the best of friends, but they, they work relatively well on, on the pitch together. That's maybe debatable. But I, I think the image of the player is what people sort of obsess about. Right. And, and so to, to underline what I mean is I think the biggest difference between, say, Ronaldinho and Neymar is character. I mean, I think you're, take, you're talking about sort of transcendent stars who, whose football is just unquestionably at the elite level. You know, the, the, that rare breed of player that could pick the ball up at the halfway line, take on two or three players, and then finish it himself, create for somebody else. And so I don't think um, the baggage affects Neymar's ability to play, obviously. I don't think it'll affect a uh, manager's decision to put him in. If you if you purchase Neymar, you play Neymar, and he, and he plays a prominent role. Um, but I do think it changes the way that fans talk about a player. And I think uh, often what, what the opinions that get passed out or, or, or that get repeated by fans are more sort of emotive than they are analytical. And they, they as pretty much translate to yay Neymar or boo Neymar based on how much you like him as a player. I think Cristiano Ronaldo probably suffered from this um, as well, in terms of the perception problem, his football, without a doubt, and yet some people sort of look for reasons to 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 pick out negative things that maybe are unrelated to the football, just because they like or don't like him. Um, I don't think the baggage would be a reason for Barcelona not to um, to purchase Neymar. I think if there was a a question as to whether this was a wise choice, I think you maybe consider more whether you're mortgaging the future, what this does to your um, salary structure, all of the things that. These supposedly fiscally responsible um, Barcelona board members, when they came in talking about how irresponsible Joan Laporta was, um, they seem to be sort of violating all those same rules again. Um, and if any, if I'm a Barcelona fan, I would worry more about sort of are we mortgaging the future for something that maybe we won't be able to recreate than for any real baggage. Uh, again, the baggage, just to 
sort of make this a little more coherent. I think the baggage matters to fans about their own sort of perception of the club because they they use the club as their identity and they don't want others sort of mocking like, oh, you, you don't have values, you don't have this or that. And so that's where I think people are a little hesitant to accept the return of Neymar. Right. I'm with you on all of that. Um, I th- and I think from I, I, it'll be interesting to see if, that ha- if this happens, we'll kind of have a better answer of how much they've mortgaged for the future once we see the deal. Like, is, is Dembele involved? Um, are they able to offload Coutinho's contract and make some space there? Um, I do think that if if he's once he's scoring like you know goals from outside the box in the Champions League, he's scoring classicals. Fans won't care at all in the, in those moments whether he's been an asshole off the pitch or not. Um, <laughs> but I think where it will matter is if the club, like with Ronaldinho, who you brought up, Guardiola felt that like Ronaldinho just needed to move on for the sake of the team um, because of his partying, and he was worried that influence might trickle onto Messi. And in those in those instances, I think it, it matters, um, which I think is a different discussion because the character of Ronaldinho was just different is that everyone loved him, lovely person, but just seemed to like his interest in football just seemed to kind of take a backseat during the peak of his career, which was unfortunate. But like that's a different, it's almost a different type of problem there. Oh, I'm not sure it's a different type of problem because even from the way that their football is perceived, it it, it, it um. It's almost based on their character. And this isn't just fans, actually. I, I think opponents um, also see, say, see and say the same things. Like, for example, um, Ronaldinho, you know, doing three sombreros around two um, athletic two players is, was seen as just like a marvelous, like a gift from the footballing gods. Neymar doing similar things in La Liga was seen as being provocative. And I think the big difference was, you know, Ronaldinho would get chopped down and bounce back up with that sort of permanent smile on his face. And it just seemed to have just seemed to transmit this joy for the game that I don't think you get from Neymar when he gets kicked, for example, and he just seems to be a bit well, more bothered by it, honestly, than, than Ronaldinho was. And I think that outward expression sort of shapes the way that people view the player, even though the tricks were more or less the same, they were for, more or less for the same effect. If anything, maybe Neymar has done it for a bit longer um, just because he got his uh, his breakout was so much earlier, you know, leading Santos to Copa Libertadores um, title in, in South America. And so uh, it's, it's a similar problem for me in that I think the football cannot be um, cannot be questioned. I think the off the field stuff is what may be a little bit troublesome. And whether Barcelona decide to sort of cover it up as gastroenteritis with Ronaldinho, or you know Neymar had permission to go to his sister's birthday party or whatever, it's it's sort of a, there's a, a very similar parallel um, between the two players, and yet they're judged very very differently both by fans inside the club and uh, rivals. Mm. They are. I think it, it, it. At that point, it probably is just a likability thing, based on like what the that's, narrative that, that, that's, is. That's 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 precisely my point. I think we yeah. do that with a lot of players. We do that with a lot of clubs. We do that with a lot of managers. I think Maurizio Sarri is a good example. Um, you look at this uh, last Premier League season. And one of my favorite storylines from this Premier League season. I'm sorry to take this tangent, but I think it's no, an interesting one. Is the way in which Unai Emery and Maurizio Sarri were covered. Right. They, there's there's two clubs that, you know, failed to meet expectations um, in recent seasons. Um, in, in Chelsea's case, they sort of fell apart after winning titles in their, their last two managers, uh, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. Um, and these two managers, these two clubs were having almost identical seasons throughout. I mean, they were right within a couple of points of each other the entire season. They were competing for more or less the same things. They were trying to play uh, proactive, sort of attacking kind of football. And Emery was was being treated by the British press as like a breath of fresh air. This is a different arsenal. You know, they, they've turned the page and they're 
this is, you know, an improved arsenal. And Sarri was met with a sort of like a, a hesitation, a resistance to, well, you know, he's trying to play in Golo Kante out of position. And why does, you know, this player have to come in and do this? And they were having the same season. And at the end, Sarri actually ended up having a better campaign, winning the Europa League, finishing ahead, yeah. um, finishing top three in the Premiership. And it came down to, in my opinion, just like ability. I think Sadri was more of an unknown commodity. He kind of reminds people of like an, a racist uncle who's just sort of like unkempt and not, not the most polished. Um, yep. His arrival in Turin looked like something out of a GQ uh, spread. <laughs> yep. Um, whereas Emery maybe is, you know, a bit more respected by the sort of proper like, uh, you know, footballing media or whatnot. And so it, it was about likability between those two managers, even though at the end we saw Sadri having a better season. So um, I think just, just to switch gears for a second, um, it's interesting to to talk about how different players thrive in different environments. And I, you know, we talked about identity quite a bit and kind of, and, and it's an ongoing discussion. It's one that I think a lot of fans are just fascinated with. Like, what is identity? How does the club obtain one? How do you sustain that identity over the years? Um, how much is, you know, the role of a sporting director get directly involved? And we have this news breaking today that perhaps... Guardiola would be looking at someone like Isco for Manchester City. And Isco has been a player like over the years at Real Madrid, has been in and out of the team. Um, initially did some great things when he first signed from Malaga. Then he kind of fell out. Then he, you know, the fans didn't really appreciate how he held on to the ball quite a bit. And then he went through that amazing 16-17 season where he was just, he really was um, to a to a certain degree, just unplayable and like impossible to defend and was so important in that run when Bale got injured that year. Um, and now it seems like we're not sure <clears throat> where his place in the team is. But there is this almost unanimous feeling that you send him to City and all of a sudden he gets rejuvenated because he, you know, you just assume that he would fit like a glove in Guardiola's system. And also, um, you know, with David Silva moving on, this will be his last year, um, this one coming up. So if, you know, my, I guess to turn this into a question, um, how much do you think that Real Madrid, the player they're looking for, that they want to sign, that, you know, whoever it is, whether it's Pogba or Eriksson or uh, Van Der Beek or, or whoever, how much do you think that player already exists in the squad in terms of the names like Isco, Ceballos, James, these guys? Yeah, that's that's actually really interesting because I, I do think Ceballos in particular, Isco has has proven it at different times under different managers. So he has sort of had an up and down in terms of um, his productivity and his playing time. Um, those guys seem like they would be um, a good fit there. Although obviously, if you can go and get like a, a Paul Pogba, the guy you mentioned, um, I think for the type of football that Zidane wants to play, um, which is going to be direct, which is going to be sort of like um, you know more more Klopp than than, than Pep, if you would. Um, than yeah. someone like a Paul Pogba or someone with a more vertical um, midfield presence would probably make more sense. Um, we don't know how much Modric will feature whether last season was sort of an anomaly or whether you know it, it was an accumulation of fatigue or whether just this is what a 33-year-old Luka Modric now looks like. Um, I, I wouldn't sort of turn the page on him yet. I think he's just a, a fabulous footballer. So it's, it, it would depend on how committed... Um, Zidane is to that three-man midfield, right? Because there doesn't really yeah. seem to be a replacement for Casemiro. Um, I think you can play Fede Valverde in that role, though that's not ideal for him. Um, and you're going to get a very different 
um, approach. It'll be more like a deep line playmaker than sort of a, a destroyer who's going to just make the easy pass, yep. as you would get with Casemiro. But you know that that's why sort of getting rid of Llorente doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. Getting rid of Ceballos maybe doesn't make, uh, make a ton of sense because these are players who probably can you know step up in the absence of a cross or a Modric. But we're just coming off the majority coming off of a you know relatively disastrous season where those guys were given sort of chances here and there. Um, again, I think he would want an explosive kind of um, midfielders like a, like a Paul Pogba. There aren't that many of them out there. So if you don't land um, him, then I'm not sure you're going to do much better than, than uh, Danny Ceballos. Um, or even watching James play at uh, Copa America with, with Colombia. And I know obviously James had his opportunities there. Um, but James plays mostly on the right wing you know right wing right center midfield for for colombia and i look at this real madrid team and you've got a ton of players who want to play on the left wing and then a couple of guys who want the playing time and would play on on the, on the right. right yeah and so Thomas would Thomas would make sense uh for for madrid there obviously given the you know a manager who can convince him that he has to have you know work rate um off the ball and, and defend as well um isco just to go back to your original question about isco mm-hmm. i think if we make a caricature of Pep Guardiola, it, he would line up 11 Iscos, right? Isco in goal, Isco at left back, Isco at center midfield, because he would want guys that have that sort of skill on the ball yeah. and that speed of thought. Um, it's not necessarily the quickness of his feet with Isco. It's, well, he is pretty quick in short spaces. It's more the, the speed of thought that he has to sort of solve problems on the fly. Um, and that's why I think you, people believe that you know, if you give this player to a manager like a Guardiola or like a Maurizio Sarri, who employ that sort of positional play, who, who want their players um, to, to, to solve things offensively sort of on their own quickly under pressure, yeah, he would thrive in that environment. Is that sort of, is that um, Zidane's style? Is that Real Madrid's current style? I'm, I'm not sure it is. And so there is a question as to whether Isco is the best fit in midfield in that position. And if you're not playing with Isco as like a classic number 10 or as a false nine, um, what is sort of his role in Zidane's new Real Madrid then? Yeah, these are all questions I have, and I think you bring up great points. Um, I, I, you actually have to go do important things like call games, so I know I have to let you go. <clears throat> um, before you go, do you want to, any quick prediction you want to hit us with? Do you think Neymar does does go back to Barca? Or he'll stay at PSG after this 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 uh, this blows over. I, honestly, when when Neymar left um, Barcelona, I I was way more convinced that he would eventually end up at Real Madrid than ever thinking he would end up Me too. eventually back at Barcelona. I thought this was you know you don't make the direct switch uh, from from Barcelona to Madrid. Uh, you don't want to go the Figo route. Yep. Um, but you could do you know the Ronaldo route, for example. Yep. Um, so I I was sort of convinced because uh, teenage Neymar sort of flirted with the idea of both because his dad seemed to want to push him in the direction of Real Madrid earlier that that would be sort of an, an inevitable outcome. Um, but now, reports that you know Neymar's already reached out to, to Barcelona players, the fact that I think we know that um, Messi, Suarez, and company would welcome him back with, with open arms. You know, leaving aside the fact is whether, whether it's a good idea or you know, whether it's something that Barcelona should do, it looks like when you make this much noise about this high-profile transfer and you know, Barca clearly seemed to want him back. I, I think if it were a different president than Bartomeu, I, I would say they'd maybe take a more principled stance. I don't see that happening. So I, I think the likelihood, with no inside knowledge here of what's going on behind the scenes, uh, the the likelihood of it seems pretty good when when the talk has, has gone this um, this far. Now, how they get that done is another matter, right? Do you give up Anousman Dembele? How much money do you have to fork over um, on top 
of players. It seems like PSG maybe aren't that interested in Coutinho, who was the, the guy Barcelona would probably like to offload most. Um, so my prediction is it gets done. My, my question is how it gets done. Drake Cordero, um, always a pleasure. Um, I wish we could do this more often, and hopefully we'll, we'll squeeze in a couple more next season. But uh, appreciate your time, my friend, and thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me.